to High Truths on Drugs and Addiction, where national experts bring you facts and answer your questions. I'm your host, Dr. Onit Lev, an emergency and addiction doctor who has worked at the White House and still practices on the front lines. Right here on High Truths, you will learn from experts, hear stories from the emergency department, and listen to people who have struggled from addiction. Each episode, we will answer questions from you, our listeners. To learn more about the show, submit a question, access educational material, or even take a quiz, you can visit us on hightruths.com. Hi, everyone. I am excited about another amazing High Truths episode where we learn and discuss important issues on addiction. Our expert today has won several Emmy Awards, a little intimidating for me as I am a simple doctor who can talk to patients, but that's very different from public speaking and performances. Today, we are going to learn about the power of a community coalition. I owe my career and expertise in addiction to community coalitions who drew me in as a medical expert and continue to educate me about the concerns of people and families and ways to navigate change. These local heroes are key to what drives me to bring the medical message on drugs and addiction to the local and national level. We will also talk about vaping. The annual Monitoring the Future survey is conducted by the University of Michigan and funded by NIDA, the National Institute on Drug Abuse. The 2020 survey went to 11,821 kids in 112 schools before stopping prematurely due to the pandemic. The sample size was 25% of a typical year. Monitoring the future remains one of the key national metrics that we follow on addiction. The data shows us that from 2017 to 2019, the percent of teenagers who said they vaped nicotine in the past 12 months doubled for 8th graders from 7.5% to 16.5%, and for 12th graders from 18.5% to 35.3%. A third, over a third of high school seniors have vaped nicotine. In 2020, the rates held steady, but this is still bad news and bad for kids. Past year vaping for marijuana was 22.1% in 12th graders, steady and yet high. The High Truths question of the day is from a young lady who is concerned about this issue. Let's hear from Madison Matella. Thank you to High Truths for providing knowledge and information about drugs and addiction. I'm Madison Matella, president of the Be the Resistance Club at Oceanside High School in San Diego County. We work to inform our peers about the dangers of alcohol, tobacco, marijuana, and other drugs, as well as work to advocate for local policies to prevent youth substance use. It's been challenging for us recently as we talk with local policymakers who are very concerned about youth vaping tobacco, but then turn around and support policies that approve marijuana vaping products. How can we help teens, parents, and policymakers understand the dangers of all vaping and adopt smart policies? Wow, Madison, what an articulate young lady. Forget president of Oceanside High School Club, let's make you president of California or America. Madison points out stupid and conflicting health policies. On one hand, we hate tobacco. Let's have strong tobacco policies. But hey, it's just vaping and marijuana. That's not so bad. And what expert match do we have lined up today for Madison? Since Madison is advocating on the ground in her community, it only fits to get her an on-the-ground expert to give her immediate local advice. Our expert today is Erin Bizak. 
Aaron is the president of the North Coastal Prevention Coalition in the same area as Madison attends high school. He has won four Emmy Awards for communication. Mr. Bizak is a well-known advocate in the area of alcohol, tobacco, and other drug prevention called ATOD. A for alcohol, T for tobacco, and OD for other drugs, since there's so many. He was a founding chair of the San Diego County Prescription Abuse Task Force years before the medical community, or I, became involved in the opioid epidemic. He received the Red Ribbon Week Excellence in Prevention Advocacy Award, a very coveted honor. And wait, that's not all. His leadership with the North Coastal Prevention Coalition led to awards with CADCA, the Community Anti-Drug Coalitions of America. You may want to go back and not miss the four CADCA-sponsored High Truths episodes. And the awards continued for Aaron Bizak with the National Exemplary Award from the National Association of State Alcohol and Drug Abuse Directors. And most recently, he was chosen for the San Diego Business Journal's 500 Most Influential List in 2019 and 2020. Aaron is famous for his 420 remix. 420, April 20th, is the so-called marijuana holiday. And Aaron had a new approach. He reclaimed the 420 day as Sober and Drug-Free Life Choices Day. In addition to his amazing prevention work, Aaron is the Chief External Affairs Officer for Tri-City Medical Center following two decades in leadership positions in emergency medical services. A man after my own heart. His educational journey includes an MBA in healthcare management and policy from UC Irvine Mirage School of Business and a bachelor's in social science for Chapman University. He's board certified in healthcare management as a fellow of the American College of Healthcare Executives. Aaron Bizak's bio is included in the High Truths show notes. Aaron Bizak, welcome to High Truths. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to be here, Dr. Lev. You have amazing accomplishments in prevention, healthcare policy, and the Emmy Awards. That really stands out. Um, But I know that there's so much more that you want to accomplish. Um, We have such a wonderful and important question from Madison Matella, a high school student in your area. But before we get to her specific question, can you share with our listeners about your background and what made you such a passionate advocate? in prevention and drug policy? Well, my passion in drug policy came from growing up in a house of severe drug addiction and alcoholism. Uh, I grew up in the local area in which I I live now in North San Diego County. And, uh, you know, my, my parents had significant drug and alcohol issues growing up and that translated into a, uh, an abusive household and uh, a lot of trauma as a kid. Uh, my mom was addicted to methamphetamine for many, many years. Uh, my dad, depending on which year you're talking about, was addicted to different drugs. Both of them were alcoholics. Um, they were divorced when I was about nine or 10. And actually, when they got divorced, even though they were, uh, it was a difficult relationship together, it got actually worse when they went separate. Um, and, and, you know, we were, we were just in a very bad spot. And so I grew up and I had always uh, sort of my 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 family calls it an old man sensibility so i like saw the world like i was a grandfather and so i would look around as a kid and i'd be like boy these people do all this stuff and doesn't make much sense you know and and at the time i was in um in school and in the dare program and the dare program was just starting to have a conversation um about the genetics of of addiction 
And so as a child, as an 11 year old child, I made the decision to never touch drugs and alcohol because I saw very clearly the impact that it had. And what happened was one day I came downstairs with a promise of having food the next day. And I came down early in the morning and I found that my mom's drug addict friends had eaten all of our food. Uh, and when I looked on the table, I saw an empty box of cereal and a mirror with a line of methamphetamine on it and a straw next to it. And my little 11 year old mind instantly connected the two and said, okay, my parents are drinking, they're doing drugs, they smoke cigarettes, they do all these things. And this is my life. This is the connection here. So if what they're saying at school is true and there's any truth to the genetics of addiction, the only way that I can never end up being like my parents is to never try alcohol or drugs, never actually introduce it into my system. And so that's what I did. And so I'm, I'm 43 years old now. I've never had alcohol. I've never had drugs. I've never smoked a cigarette. Um, but I know a lot about them um, from growing up in there and obviously working in health policy. And uh, when I really got involved in health policy was uh, in my mid-20s. I had been working on an ambulance for a long time as an EMT, responding to 911 calls, made a decision that I wanted to change things and move away from the hyper-reactive form of medicine, which was wait till somebody messes themselves up and then try to pick up the pieces and focus more on the proactive side of things. And what I thought at that time, and I still believe, is policy change is really where, where that's at. And so I had interned at a senator's office while working on Amos and going to college. And I eventually got hired by the senator um, to work as his health policy person in the district. And That's the cool. first event I went to was the 10-year anniversary for the North Coastal Prevention Coalition. And so I went to this event in NCPC. Their mission is to reduce the harm of alcohol, tobacco, marijuana, and other drugs in the cities of Carlsbad, Oceanside, Vista, the places that I grew up. And they do it through community action, education, support, and collaboration. And I looked at this and said, these people are doing exactly what I want to be doing. Yeah. These people are helping young people make the same choice that I made when I was a kid. And so I need to get involved. And once I said I was going to get involved, they said, come on in. And I've been on the board ever since. And that was in 2003. Wow. Well, you know, you I, I see this again and again, that people can learn from negative examples. I mean, your parents had a negative examples and, and, and that, you know, you learn from that. You're like, I don't ever want to be like them. That 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 drove you, um, and also to make things better. Do you have siblings? Did they kind of follow your path or no? Yeah, I have an older sister and a younger brother. My younger brother followed my path. Uh, my older sister did not. And uh, up until about a year ago, my sister was a homeless methamphetamine addict. Mm. Um, and but she's now off the street. She's now been clean for over a year. Uh, she's living in an independent living facility and, and doing much, much better. Uh, my brother is doing great. He owns a house two blocks from my house and our kids grow up together and he's doing fine. And are you married kids? Do, do you have examples to for the next generation? Yeah, so I am married. I've been with my wife for 20 years. Uh, and um, I have two kids, a 13-year-old son and a six-year-old daughter. Uh, and it, my wife, my wife grew up in... Not as much of a drug influence, but all, but lower socioeconomic status, a lot of poverty and whatnot. And she and I now, we uh, the main topic of conversation is how do we convey to our kids the experiences that we had as, as kids without exposing them to really negative things? Because we know the statistics that far too many kids 
that are exposed to those kinds of, of influences and those traumatic experiences don't go the way that my wife and I went or that my brother and I went. You know, if you're, you know, if you study adverse childhood experiences, ACEs and things like that, you know that anyone with a score of four out of 10 or higher is likely to have a really bad outcome in their life. My wife and I are both nines. Right. You, you, uh, you beat those odds, which, which right. shows you that just because you have a bad score does not mean that you have a destiny. You, you somehow, you and your wife had resiliency. Um, yeah. So, I mean, the odds were stacked against you, but even so that doesn't mean you can't, you know, that you can beat those odds. That's a problem with those, you know, with these statistics right. is that people will think, oh, well, you know, that's, you know, it's, it, it defeats it's, they feel defeated because, well, you know, you know, your score was nine. And if your score is four or five, then you're going to have a, you know, terrible life, but that doesn't have to be that way. No, it's it's not a it's not a predetermined outcome. Right. And I think people need to know that. And I think that people need to try to tap into their own resiliency um, to askew victimhood in any way that they can, because victimhood is a is a <laughs> it takes you down a down a bad path. Right. Uh, and I think more than even resiliency, uh, I've adopted the, the term anti-fragile. Right. You know, where resiliency is I can withstand it. But with anti-fragile, it's more of a not only do I can I withstand it, but the more you hit me, the stronger I actually get. It's almost like breaking a bone. It becomes stronger afterwards. I like that. And so that's that's how we feel about it. My wife and I both feel that way. Right. And that applies to so many things in life, you know, all sorts of adversity. Every time you hit me, I'm going to get stronger for it. Um, right. I love that. And so it you do have kids in a vulnerable age and, and experience and knowledge of genetics um, what is, what's, what do you do for your kids and what, your, what is your, do you talk to them about it? Um, do they know about drugs? Oh, they most certainly do. We, t we talk openly about it. We talk openly about the experiences that we had as children. Uh, it's a little hard with the six-year-old because she doesn't always interpret it the right way. Yeah. Uh, but, but with a 13-year-old, he gets it. And we talk about the genetics of addiction. We talk about why um, I made the choices I did, why his mom made the choices she did. Uh, and, you know, my wife, you know, she she went down the path for a while, but then, you know, walked back. You know, she didn't have to continue down that path. We're coming at it from kind of different perspectives. But, you know, we both know that the best way to approach this is to have zero, um, uh, you know, exposure um, in your own brain to drugs, alcohol, tobacco, and things like that until you are much older. And hopefully by that time, you choose not to do it at all and live life, you know, with sobriety. And, you know, we, we talk to our kids because our kids are not growing up in the same environment we, we were. So they have, they they live a somewhat privileged life, you know, and where they live. They're going to learn, they're going to learn different than you. You learn correct. from negative examples. They're going to learn correct. from positive examples. And that's exactly what we're trying to do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but great. we want to be open with them and honest with them. So I, you know, my kids, I think maybe my daughter was like 12 years old and she asked me for a Motrin for something. And it's like, you know, do you really need that? I asked her and she'd be like going to her dad, mom thinks I'm a drug addict because I'm asking for a Motrin. You know, they know. <laughs> kids know your triggers. And, and even when they're just like you said, my kids are, 
you know, in, in, in college and in medical school, but if they're under 25, 27, their brain's not growing and they got to protect it. Um, Correct. and they've, they've Correct. heard that message so many times. You, you're a very successful coalition. Like here you went to this uh, North Coastal Prevention Coalition and, you know, you had this aha moment that this is your people and now you lead that coalition. And I think many people don't realize that there are coalitions right in their own backyard like um, North Coastal Prevention and uh, they need advocates like you. I know back in 2011, when I was first invited to the San Diego Prescription Drug Abuse Task Force, I had no idea so many people who were involved in prescription drug abuse, you know, prevention efforts. And I realized that the medical community was not seeing the same thing as the, the community as large was seeing. As a doctor, I saw patients who were demanding drugs who um, with the hospital focus on patient satisfaction scores and Yelp scores, while parents were burying their children because of the very prescriptions that we were taught to prescribe. And I really learned the power of coalitions in making a difference. Um, what's the most important role you feel that coalitions like North Coastal Prevention Coalition serve? Well, they're the local connection. You know, it's it's so many times people look to our, first of all, they look to elected officials to fix problems. And I don't know if that's the right place to be looking to fix problems. But, you know, oftentimes, you know, the, the frame of reference is different. So they look to, you know, the federal folks or the state folks. But I think the more local you can become and the coalitions are by definition local advocates. They, they have sort of their finger on the pulse of what's going on in the local community. And so I think that they are well positioned to uh, educate themselves, to, to, uh, to be able to inform the community about the issues that are coming up, and also to inform their elected officials at the local, county, state, and federal level about the trends that they are seeing, and then partner. It's easier for them to, for coalitions to partner with business and partner with other advocates and uh, other organizations to bring to bear this new information that they're that they're learning. I mean, we've we've worked on any number of things at NCPC. You know, one of the good examples that we worked on was we worked on synthetic drugs. You know, when the issue of uh, spice and bath salts uh, first came out. So tell us and about that story. Yeah. Yeah. So we were, you know, it, the first time I heard it, we were actually on our way to Denver um, to get an award. So NCPC had won like the CADCA, Community Anti-Drug Coalitions of America, um, Coalition of Excellence one year. And then the next year we won the NASADAT award, which is for innovative substance abuse programs, policies, and practices. And it was all mostly around marijuana at the time, but we were on our way to Denver to get the NASADAT award. And uh, a gentleman who used to be heavily involved in the coalition, Fred Becker said, hey, have you been hearing about spice and bath salts? And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, and, and so what we found out was that people were um, basically allowed to purchase these synthetic drugs, spice being sort of a synthetic cannabinoid, right? Um, and, uh, and basalts, which are like a stimulant at liquor stores. They're just selling them. And it says not for human consumption with a wink and a nod. And then people buy them for human consumption. And they were, ha they were having over, they were overdosing, they were having all these problems. And so we went to tackle that issue. 
and we got together with the media and we uh, we did shoulder tap operations and liquor stores. We came in with a camera, put it right in the, the people's face. So we sent them letters from the police department and we teamed up with the Chamber of Commerce and local elected officials. And after some trial and error of how to write a policy that would prevent the sale of these things in the community, we finally, working with another coalition actually down, down the road from us, um, came up with a policy that was sort of a model. And I, I think we went from 100 plus overdoses in a year to one over almost overnight uh, with the implementation of that policy. And so it was a game changer. We ended up winning a second NASADAT award <laughs> because of that policy. Uh, ironic that it was uh, originally first talked about on the way to the first NASADAT award. So That's awesome. That's a real successful story. And I, I remember that I was drawn into um, that effort at the time as a medical expert to talk about the medical effects of spice and bath shots and what we were seeing in the emergency department. Um, again, very successful coalitions create leaders in their community, that leaders are out there. And I encourage communities to find their medical champion. And um, I'm very thankful that the coalitions found me and discovered me and, 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 uh, you know, help me be part of that effort. And, uh, yeah, you're right. We got rid of the, the bath salts and it created a collaboration also with medical emergency, uh, community and law enforcement and closing up these, these shops. Right. That's exactly right. And I, you know, one of the things you've done that I think is just so creative is I, I really like the 420 remix initiation that you led uh, 420, April 20th, the national marijuana holiday, and you um, changed that around. It sounds kind of like a rock show. Like, can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah. So 420 Remix had started even prior to me being involved with NCPC. We just took it to another level. Uh, so essentially what it was is April 20th is known in, in drug culture as a sort of marijuana smoking holiday. Um, there's some debate as to where it started, but what we did know from a local connection is that uh, at one of the continuation high schools locally, the teachers and principal were seeing that that was the day when, when students that were in the continuation high school were relapsing or even starting to take marijuana because there was sort of a festive feel to it. And so what they started doing was doing an alternative day on April 20th, where they would keep the kids at school and have almost like a carnival. It started off with just like shooting basketballs and barbecue and things like that. And we got involved, turned it into a larger carnival, um, and then eventually took it and, and partnered with a local family fun center called Boomers in San Diego. Uh, and we've hosted upwards of 1300 kids on April 20th for a free event. They come and they have fun. They hear, uh, you know, uh, you know, pro a positive choice messaging they they hear anti-drug messaging they do surveys with us so we can collect data uh and it, it's just a great festive atmosphere and so we've done it every single year on april 20th uh we call it 420 remix a celebration of sober and drug-free life choices i love it i love it and um you probably didn't have it this year because of the pandemic right um, right. Yeah. It's kind of hard well, we're, to have. Yeah. What we're doing, what we're doing now, we implemented this a few years ago is that we also try to tap into the creativity of our local students. And so they participate in a public service announcement contest with us. And so they'll come up with posters or video commercials that are, have anti-drug messages. Then we have a contest and then we give away prizes, cash prizes and things like that for the, the students that do really, really well with that program. Oh, that's really nice. Um, yeah. 
So we're uh, mentioned kind of COVID and the pandemic has affected everybody and everything. But how has that affected you and in, in, in prevention and, and, and the people that you advocate for? Well, you know, it's in some respects, it's more difficult because, you know, it's you can't go to events and and, you know, having that personal connection with people out in the community is a different uh, you know, different role. But however, you know, on the other side and, and on the negative side, it's also driving more kids to have mental ill mental illness and and behavioral health challenges. I think a lot of young people are turning to drugs uh, to deal with whatever they're feeling. And whatnot. And so you have a lot more parents that are interested in these things. We've uh, thankfully been able to transition over to more of an online format for a lot of our things. And so we host, you know, town hall forums and discussions for parents, and we have really good attendance at those things. Um, but we're trying to get information out there to parents. We actually just made a commercial that we're hoping to uh, roll out here pretty soon, um, really trying to drive home the point that you're not alone. If you're stuck behind this computer and, and you're feeling disconnected from your friends, you do not have to turn to drugs and alcohol. And there are resources uh, that, that are local and at your disposal. That's good. Because I, I know that COVID, um, as an emergency physician, has given me more business, not just from COVID patients. We did have, you know, a surge and things are now a little down. Um, but definitely a lot more business for drugs and and mental health and holding patients in our emergency departments for not hours, but days waiting for a mental health bed. So the fact that you are connecting the issues of drugs and mental health, I think is is an important and very insightful. Yeah, I think it's I think it's what you have to do. I mean, there's the more time goes on, the more we know about people self-medicating for untreated mental illness and, and things like that. And those things oftentimes start in your teenage years. Uh, and so I think the more we can make parents aware of these things so they're not suffering in silence, so they know there's resources out there that they can, you know, direct their, their children to or their families to, you know, we, we want to prevent these things from getting out of control as much as possible. Yeah. Um, so what are you working on now? What are some um, your hot issues that the North Coastal Prevention Coalition is working on? Well, NCP, we continue to work on vaping a lot. <laughs> vaping is a is a topic of, of major concern. You know, um, it's it's strange to me how we we were so successful in California on preventing smoking of cigarettes. Right. And we have one message. We're actually speaking of behavioral health. We're schizophrenic in the way that we talk about these things yeah. and the way our policymakers pass policies. We were highly effective at reducing the, the smoking rate uh, and uh, and the, the ramifications of the sm of smoking cigarettes, you know, filtered or, or not. Um, but we're totally open, you know, and we open the door to vaping, uh, you know, and, and the vaping folks came in and we were. Uh, very much on the on the forefront of this issue of telling city council members that these vape shops don't have 360 different flavors of of, of nicotine uh, simply because of vape juice simply because they want to help people get off of smoking. That's not how this works, right? Like that's because that was the, that was the the line that they were using. Like yeah. we help people get away from smoking. Yeah. And there may be a small and percentage of the population that that's very true. Small very small. But the fact of the matter is, is that they're trying, it's simply a different drug delivery device. It's no, a more acceptable I, I, drug I, delivery device. I think what they've done is criminal because right. everything, all the, 
all the good work that we've done for tobacco and kids is now out the door. And uh, there's one study that that showed for every one person who's addicted to nicotine from tobacco, who may be helped by vaping, and those studies were done in Europe, that's not an American population. So in America, who it's even less, but if for any one smoker that you help stop uh, smoking, you are creating 80 kids who otherwise would never picked up tobacco and making them uh, addicted to nicotine. So that formula means that that should never have come to the market. If we really focused on public health, there, you know, it better to have one person, uh, not nice to say, but one person, you know, be addicted to tobacco and maybe get emphysema and, and, and uh, lung cancer versus 80 new kids who otherwise would never have fallen into that trap. Doesn't make sense. Right. Right. And, you know, and people can, kids can vape, you know, things other than nicotine, you know, they're vaping heroin and they're vaping, you know, THC, you know, like, you know, uh, you know, marijuana extracts and things like that. And it's, it's devastating. The THC levels are going through the roof. And the other thing that we've done is we basically said smoking is bad, but inhaling burning plant matter is okay on this, on this other side of things. And it's just, it's just, I, I sit there and go, is no one else see the hypocrisy in, in these, in these conversations that we're having? I, I, and so I NCPCs, for the last year has really adopted this one choice initiative uh, that uh, that comes out of the, uh, what's it called? It's called the Institute for, um, oh boy. Um, it's, it's Bob DuPont, Dr. DuPont's. It, yeah, uh, Institute, Institute for Behavior and Health. Yeah, Institute for Behavior and Health. And so the one choice, going back to what we talked about before, just says, you know, the one choice is no drugs, alcohol, tobacco um, before the ages of 25. And so rather than us trying to pick away at these different issues, marijuana and vaping and cigarettes and meth and, you know, prescription drugs, which we could talk about, you know, all these things, we're saying, look, there's one choice to make, and this is the choice. I love that. And by the way, for our listeners, um, uh, Dr. Bob DuPont, who heads that Behavioral Institute and is... Um, is a champion of the one choice message um, as an episode with us here at High Truths. And, and uh, the message is protect your brain. Your brain's not done growing till 27. So, so don't stunt the growth of your brain with any type of um, uh, chemical that can cause addiction and stunt the growth of your brain. Right. Um, including vape, which is Madison's question to us. Um, Madison is a president of her high school club that helps teens, parents, policymakers, and really educates about the dangers of vaping. Um, and and she was really clever in noting that, you know, the schizophrenia or the, the, how there are smart policies and, and, and really, frankly, stupid health policies that, that we pass. Um, and so, you know, let's get to her questions. What can we do when it comes to vaping? Well, I, I think education is a key component of this. You have to talk to people about what the real uh, the impacts are. I mean, e even when we, you know, and Dr. Lev, you and I both worked on the prescription drug issue here in San Diego County. I mean, one of the biggest issues was just explaining to parents what they're looking at when they find paraphernalia. Mm -hmm. I mean, in vaping, it could look like a highlighter. It could look like a pen. It could look like all these different things. And then to explain to parents 
what the dangers are and to the kids what the dangers are uh, and to policymakers. And so they know that when a policy comes before them or an issue comes before them, they have some foundational knowledge of what's actually going on. So I think that's something that we could absolutely do. Uh, one of the best ways to do that is through social media and earn media on the on you know TV news and in the paper and things like that. But also those things, you know, they're they're limited in the amount of information you can gain because the average person has like an eight second, uh, you know, attention span. Right. Um, and so you have to deep dive every now and then. That's why we do town hall forums and we talk about these things and we open ourselves up to, to parents. But I think a more informed population makes more informed decisions. Uh, and so that's really the key there is, is doing that. And, and quite honestly, making it extremely difficult to get and making it extremely painful for the people who are selling it and profiting off of other people's suffering. You know, that's, that's very true. And, um, you know, some of the education, I don't know if you saw the recent study um, that came out from the Journal of Adolescent Health, March, 2021. They looked at 15,000 teenagers aged 12 to 17 over two year period. And these kids were asked um, if they use cigarettes, e-cigarettes, weed, and um, how much time they were spent uh, vaping marijuana. And then they were also asked about uh, respiratory lung symptoms. And of all the people, the kids who were uh, vaping marijuana, um, the majority of them, over 50% of them reported having respiratory symptoms. Um, so this was, you know, clear, you know, we didn't need a study to tell us that uh, smoking stuff is bad for you, but this was a, a very big study um, demonstrating the damage um, in kids. I mean, you see the amount of smoke coming out of these vape products. How could all that be healthy, right? It, it can't, that just doesn't, that doesn't make a common sense. And really anything in your lung you know, uh, is not healthy for your lungs. Um, Correct. You're supposed to breathe right. in oxygen, right? <laughs> yeah. So it's right. uh, it's interesting because, and you've experienced this, I'm sure. Um, the the hardest part is that we as a society are highly reactive. Our politicians are highly reactive. They wait until something gets really bad. And then they're like, we should respond to this because we have to do something really fast. Like we have to do something right now. And then if you do something on a prevention side of things, and you, the hardest part about prevention is that if you are successful, nothing happens. And so if nothing happens, they think, well, nothing's happening. So why should we give you guys the money to do prevention? We should focus it on something else. And so, unfortunately, with this vaping epidemic. I think it's going to take some really serious pain, the kind of pain that we saw in the in the tobacco smoking uh, world um, before our leaders actually turn around and say, hey, maybe we shouldn't we shouldn't let this happen. We shouldn't do this. And you're starting to see it a little bit in the state of California and different local communities and whatnot. Um, but, you know, typically you have to have you remember they had to have kids that ended up in, in uh, and young people ended up in the hospital. That's why exactly. That I mean, I think you're you're it's tragically, tragically correct that. Um, and we saw that in the numbers is that, oh, well, you know, vaping, it's just healthy. We're helping some people who need to smoke, knowing very well it's going to cause 
terrible damage on, you know, next generation of Americans. Um, and then people may not remember, like you do, right before the COVID pandemic, we had a vaping epidemic where 68 people died, over 2000 were hospitalized. That, that, those, that disease didn't go away um, during the pandemic and it was caused by, um, by vaping. And these were young people who were dying and had serious lung injury because of vaping. And what that people did respond to that. And I think the number of vaping in kids has gone down and didn't go up um, because there was a lot of advertisement and sounding the alarm because of the vaping thing. And now one of the things that I'm, I'm proud of that I got to do while at uh, ONDCP at, at the White House is during our DEA take back day, was um, able to create a, a guidance that you could take back vapes. Um, oh, that's great. That, that was during the, you know, the, that was during the vaping epidemic. It's like, okay, well, let's take up prescription drugs. And at that time, I know that, wait a second, the whole prescription drug epidemic is about to be over. I would say it, it, we, we've ended the prescription drug epidemic. We still have an opioid epidemic. We still have a, a, a drug epidemic. But for prescription drugs, we've greatly, greatly decreased the amount of prescription drugs. Even some people say too much. But yet, the people were dying for from vapes. So we had to, uh, I, I like that. Uh, we were able to get that. That's great. Get that in there. Um, and, you know, the CDC uh, has a, what they call a vaccine for tobacco. And I, I think what we need to do is merge that whole issue of tobacco, vaping, and marijuana and not separate it. And if anything, I'd say the mistake by the CDC is to call it C, um, tobacco control goals and vaccine instead of something more broad, like, you know, right. lung protection, because right. whatever the and, and really, as far as remember, you said that, well, if, if we're successful in prevention, nothing happens. Right. But but we should draw back to tobacco because we were very successful. Not we, you. You've been very yes. successful. No, we, we, we as a society yeah, have. Yeah. Right. And how would, and we did that. And that's the I think that's the the barometer, you know, well, we, we did all this prevention work and we were successful in tobacco. If we're not successful in vaping and other drugs, you know, unfortunately we counter, you know, a bigger lobby that pushes, you know, vaping and, and marijuana on, on society. Um, but if we take those same methods that we did for tobacco and frankly merge them, you know, then, then that's what we need to do. And, and, um, we had a, a podcast uh, interview with uh, Andrew Romero from CADCA and he outlined the CDC tobacco goals for success um, as number one, making high prices, two, smoke-free policies, three, cessation access, and three, and four, hard-hitting media campaigns. Well, if that's the formula that works for tobacco, that shouldn't be just for tobacco. We should do that Correct. for vaping and marijuana. Why is that any different? No, it's not any different, and it works. It works extremely well, uh, and it, that's why I was saying earlier it's schizophrenic to do it in completely different ways. Right, yeah. So, uh, And to think that there's not a profit motive involved in this. I mean, there's as much of a profit motive involved in this as there was in the tobacco absolutely. industry. Absolutely. It's the same people, probably. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, they're just, they're just uh, bigger and smarter and richer now. <laughs> yes, and they have digital ways of reaching that's your kids. That's right. Oh, yeah. 
Um, so what are some smart and not stupid laws or audi- uh, audiences that you, you're working on or that you would like to see? Well, that's a good question. You know, we've, uh, I think that you know, we've primar- primarily been focused on how do you prevent things and in, 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 prevent access, right? Prevent normalization in the media and whatnot. I think, you know, laws that say, you know, you can't advertise alcohol on digital billboards. Great. Good idea. You know, so you're not constantly inundated with these messages, these pro-alcohol messages. You know, um, policies like we passed here in Oceanside that make it extraordinarily expensive to sell uh, to, as a fine to sell synthetic drugs. You know, policies that allow for prescription drug takebacks. I mean, you, Dr. Levy, you remember when we first started the Prescription Drug Abuse Task Force, you couldn't give back prescription drugs. That wasn't part of the, that wasn't part of the plan. Yeah. I mean, I remember driving around cause you know, you know, I was involved heavily with the founding of the, the prescription drug abuse task force in San Diego. I was the founding co-chair of it. Um, I drive around with the DEA and we'd be having conversations sitting in a Walmart parking lot about how you'd have to have a hazardous materials team on standby if you brought medication back to drop it off. Um, and so things like that, that remove the amount of access off the streets and now take back days are a thing that happened twice a year all across the country. Um, and But before it was really difficult. So I think that things like that, smoke-free beaches and parks, those are the kind of things that we've been doing out here, you know, limiting the number of head shops that are out in a particular area, limiting the amount of, uh, of local uh, marijuana dispensaries, you know, for a long time, medical marijuana. And, and look, I'm not arguing that there aren't some people who have relief from symptoms of their diseases if they smoke marijuana. I have no doubt that that's probably the case, that some people have relief. But the problem is, is that, you know, for years, it was the de facto legalization. And they'd give you a, 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 a recommendation for marijuana if you had elbow pain or if you had rosacea or whatever right, it was. Or car- carpal tunnel syndrome from right. texting too much. That's my right. favorite. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, <laughs> and they had people that were getting recommendations for their their service parrot, you know, like just like random things that people, you know, you'd see a guy, a 20 year old guy skating up on a skateboard to go get his prescription marijuana, you know, uh, uh, pickup. Well, well, frankly, that's just a a joke on my profession. I mean, it took a lot to, to, to become a doctor. And there's so many um, risks and benefits that go into medical treatment. And that's just all out the door with, with these recommendations. Yeah. And, you know, there's only a handful of people that are actually writing those recommendations in the grand scheme of things, because most doctors don't do that. Um, But the fact of the matter is, is that when you have cities that, you know, you have a city of 90,000 people and they, they're like, oh, you can have 11 dispensaries. You have more dispensaries than you have pharmacies in the, in the community. And you go, okay, so do we have a public health crisis or something that would require that many dispensaries? Or are we just implicitly acknowledging that people are now de facto purchasing marijuana, you know, now you can purchase marijuana, even you don't even need a, a medical, you know, uh, recommendation or anything like that. Uh, and, you know, they're, yeah. they're enticed by the amount of, of tax revenue that they believe comes in. But as we've seen with tobacco and alcohol, you collect about one tenth, the amount of tax revenue is what the societal cost is. And, and it's, what's infuriating is it's government 
sanctioned. Um, it, uh, High Truths visited a pot shop, and we have a couple episodes on that. But um, um, marijuana shops were declared an essential business during a pandemic. Other people couldn't, you know, exercise or go to church, but you could buy your pot, and those places were booming. And now, um, I think just as infuriating is those, um, you know, marijuana shop workers are considered essential workers and getting their vaccine before the rest of the population. Um, yeah, San Diego County and, are considered ag- agricultural workers. Yeah, and all it does is bring me more business in the emergency department um, from from addiction and poisonings um, and high potency caused psychosis. It's really tragic. Right. It is tragic. And I think it's for a lot of young people, it kickstarts, you know, uh, issues of behavioral prime, health it, issues. It, and, yep. yeah, it, it primes, primes the brain. Yeah. yeah, it's exactly right. It's uh, it's kind of infuriating. But you know what? We, we try to, you know, encourage young people to make responsible choices, encourage, you know, arm parents with the information necessary to have informed conversations with their kids and give them alternative activities to participate in instead of doing those things. You're right. But the prevention work that you do and champion is so important because you can educate kids um, and parents. Our job as a society is to protect our kids and their brains not done growing till they're 27. So they need to be protected and, 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 and the laws and information that, that you provide makes that happen. So I'm Yeah, we try to, you know, and, and we've lo- been lucky enough to have a lot of community partners in this. We've had for many years, uh, very supportive elected officials in the area. Um, you know, things change. People's perspectives change. Different people come into office. Uh, and I think there is a a, um, a more lackadaisical uh, approach and attitude towards marijuana in particular uh, now than there used to be. Uh, and I think that, you know, unfortunately, we're, we're going to we're going to see the ramifications of that as, as time goes on. I'd be interested to see, you know, um, what percentage of young people are, are trying marijuana. I know it's gone up um, uh, uh, quite a bit. And, uh, and despite our best efforts, and then also seeing what long-term outcomes are for, for young people. Cause you know, I've, I've always said, you know, when the, the marijuana, uh, the pro marijuana crowd will say, you know, no one's ever died of an overdose of marijuana. I said, well, marijuana doesn't kill your respiratory drive. It kills your but, initiative but, and it kills your but, future. No, but it, but it does kill you, but it does kill yeah. you. Just that's, those are the same people who say, well, no one died of a puff of cigarette. Right. Right. So, but yeah, I mean, there, there's lots died. of things that, yeah. yeah, there's lots of things that you can get into, but it, 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 that, that could end up killing you, you know, when it comes to marijuana. But, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the thing that I, I think it, I've seen a lot of this is I know people who are very well placed in our society who, you know, years ago when you talk to them and, and they say, and they say, oh, my kids, they just smoke a little bit of weed. It's no problem. And then a year later, I get a call from them saying, can you help my son get into treatment? He's, he's smoking marijuana every day. That's all he wants to do. He doesn't want to do anything else. He's lost his initiative. And of course we help him, you know, and, and I help them find that. But I, I wish that, you know, people took a more serious view of those initial interactions with, with drugs and alcohol um, because it does start you down a path that it oftentimes is very difficult to come back from. You know, the, the exact story that you just told, it, it that kid 
it hijacks your brain where you need to to feed that dopamine uh, right. need just to just just to feel normal. So that's it's very sad. Um, I want to run by two ideas that I'm working on and see if this uh, sparks an interest or you give me advice on how to pursue it. Um, okay. I have two pieces of legislation with unbacked language. I'm looking for a, a vehicle. And I think that they're very white hat issues. One is fentanyl testing um, be because we found fentanyl in everything, even vaping products um, um, and and pills and all sorts of illegal drugs. Basically, if you get drugs outside a pharmacy, you're susceptible to a fentanyl overdose. And just today I heard that our number of fentanyl overdoses, I thought it doubled, but today I heard it tripled. So yeah. just crazy. But one thing, not, you know, there's no one solution, but one thing that we could do as a medical professional, and you know that, you know, working in the health profession is, uh, inc is have fentanyl testing universal and automatic. So if a, a doctor or anybody who's ordering a urine drug screen in a hospital is checking for marijuana or methane, it automatically would include fentanyl, which otherwise would not show up on a drug screen. Um, fentanyl is a synthetic opioid that doesn't show up on a drug screen. And with that, people know, because a lot of people who are dying um, from fentanyl have no idea that they're being exposed. Correct. So we're doing that campaign now in San Diego County. Um, initially, four out of 24 hospitals included fentanyl. Um, you know, in, in their capability, we want to see everybody, but we also want this as, as a California law. Are you looking at the, the adoption of this similar to the way that the hospitals in San Diego County adopted the, the agreement to end the candy store at the emergency department and, and stop giving away uh, pain medication? We worked on that, remember, years ago? So Yes, yes. That was, that was my project. It was called yep. Safe Prescribing the Emergency Department. Don't be a candy land or a candy right. man. Right. <laughs> yes, right. and that went statewide. No, but right. that was done on the grounds voluntarily. Um, right. Fentanyl... Um, is no, we want to get to the state legislator and and push right. all hospitals to do. And we, we're doing it the same way we did safe prescribing one by one, and we'll continue that effort. But that's a lot slower. If we want all of California to to do that, I, I, we're, we're trying to go the legislative route. And then this, the second... Right. Um, yeah. the, the second one is um, prescription labeling. So I, I think most doctors and most consumers have no clue that there are 300, 500 drug interactions with marijuana products, both THC and CBD. People think that they're harmless, um, but there are a lot of drug interaction. And we've seen people in the emergency department with um, internal bleeding caused by their marijuana. How does marijuana cause internal bleeding? It does it by interacting with your blood thinners. Mm. But there are hundreds of medications that have drug interactions with marijuana. So we would like pharmacies to put a warning label on these specific drugs, uh, just like they say, don't use um, with alcohol, don't use with grapefruit juice. We would have, you know, don't use with marijuana products. And uh, I think that that would be a real educational and really consumer protection campaign. So we have unbacked language for that. I know marijuana is very much a hot issue and it can be a very divisive issues, but I think, you know, consumer protection in medications at a pharmacy is, is very white hat. What do you think? I, I like that one. What I would also do is I'd add in that the, that the people selling marijuana have to label it. 
that this interacts with with medication. So that way, it's not just the cost is not simply borne by the pharmacies, but it's borne by the people who are actually selling the marijuana too. Uh, so I would I would require them to have a label on there that that talks about the dangers. You know, almost similar to uh, the way smoking has to have a label. You know, packs of cigarette have to have a label on them now too. Um, so I think that would be. I think those are both viable uh, options. The question is, who's going to carry it? Um, and I, I have some thoughts, so we could talk offline about that, about who, who might carry some bills like that. Yeah. Um, not only do you have experience in prevention, but you're also a health executive at a major hospital. So how would you like the medical profession and hospitals to be more involved in the issue of, of drugs and prevention? Well, you know, we're trying to do this. So I'm a, I'm the chief uh, external affairs officer for Tri-City Medical Center in, uh, Oceanside, California. And so, um, our focus has been that when we do our community outreach and education and partnerships, we are working on this, these very issues. And so I think hospitals uh, have an opportunity to make investments in those nonprofit organizations in their communities that are tackling issues like that. And I know that some of our, our neighboring hospitals and stuff have been doing this for many years. Tri-City's been partnering with folks for years. But when I came on, you know, we have this initiative that we call the Coastal Commitment which stands for community outreach and supports through active leadership. And the idea being that when we invest in community nonprofits um, in our local area, uh, we are taking an active role in that. I serve as president of NCPC as an example. We provide some funding to NCPC so they can do some of their activities. Uh, we partner with them to promote activities and promote town halls and do things like that. Um, but I think that more hospitals could be doing things like that um, and having more healthcare executives uh, who have expertise the way you do and what not you know we have uh you know dr jean ma is our chief um our, our chief medical officer you probably know dr ma i do uh, chief yeah chief medical officer here at the hospital and a longtime emergency physician and, and yeah probably, shout out shout out to dr ma <laughs> yeah so probably one of the the nicest most empathetic voices you've ever heard in your life uh yeah. but dr ma you know he serves on the board of the american heart association and so he'll write letters to elected officials or he'll go speak on camera or whatnot talking about the importance of issues related to smoking cessation tobacco control and things of that nature so it's about us using our relative you know our relevant expertise and things to get actively involved and lead initiatives and so it's the kind of stuff that we do through the coastal commitment uh at, at, at tri-city and you know and that we've done and we partner with other groups so we're on the community health needs assessment task force for the hospitals Association and drug and alcohol issues comes up as one of the top community health needs, uh, as does stigma around behavioral health and social determinants of health. And so we're, we just started a, a new policy group a policy subcommittee of the needs assessment to take some of the findings and then uh, you know uh, take best practices from other hospitals and turn them, as you had indicated before, into policy discussions and policy proposals. And so I think that hospitals in particular and major healthcare institutions, they occupy a, a, a position of disproportional influence, right, in, in the community mm -hmm. because of the expertise and because of the impact that they have. So we should be using that as a soapbox to talk about these issues. Yeah. And and Madison is leading a club at her high school. And I know there are groups across the country like NCPC looking for advocates and young people to be involved. What would you say to listeners to get involved in their communities? 
I'd say start Google searching because you're going to find somebody in your, in your local area and get involved. And, you know, when I got involved, I was a 20, probably a 25 year old guy, you know, and the, the great thing was, is that NCPC gave me an opportunity to wrap my arms around something that was, I was passionate about that I could be very actively involved with. And it gave me an opportunity to grow as a leader in the community. So I think that there's, if you're interested in doing things like that and whether it's drug and alcohol prevention or safe parks or whatever it may be, find the local groups or find local like-minded people, help them create a vision for what the future should be. And then, you know, Go out and do it. Go make it happen. They'll grab you. Yeah, they said 50% of activists just being there, showing up. If you show up, they'll they'll use you. Correct. Yeah. And so what's your advice to Madison in general? So... Oh, just in general, yeah. she's she's on the right path. You know, Madison's doing great work. She's engaging with her with her peers. She's also engaging with adults and showing them that the future is bright. You have young people who are bright and, and articulate and can carry forward a message on these issues. Uh, I think what she needs to do is just continue to pursue excellence in every endeavor that she goes after uh, and make sure that she carries this message of prevention in all of her activities as she moves forward. And she's going to be very successful and she'll make other little Madisons all over the place <laughs> who will want to follow that lead. That's awesome. And so, wow, that's a great message. Madison Matella, you are a remarkable young lady. I love that you're protecting your own brain and working on protecting the brains of your friends by avoiding drugs that can, can stunt that growth. And obviously, just like Aaron says, you have a bright future ahead of you. Dream big, get the best grades possible. And most of all, um, may you have blessings of health. And, and Aaron Bizak, thank you so much for being our expert on high truths. We're honored and thankful for your leadership and the work by North Coastal Prevention Coalition. You are models of creating strong partnerships, advocacy, education, and working on smart, not stupid, health policies. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you, Dr. Love. Thank you for listening to High Truths on Drugs and Addiction, where national experts give you facts and answer your questions. This week's episode would not be possible without the generous support from our sponsors. A sincere and warm thank you to NCPC, North Coastal Prevention Coalition. The North Coastal Prevention Coalition in Vista, California, has been around for over 25 years, working to reduce the harm of alcohol, tobacco, marijuana, and other drugs in North San Diego County. If you would like to sponsor a show, we would be honored and grateful. Please contact us at hightruths.com. We want to hear from you. Post a comment or email us about one thing you learned from this program. We thank you for listening and hope you will help our rating by giving us a five-star review. And subscribe so you won't miss any of our information-packed weekly shows. Visit our website, hightruths.com, to submit a question, take a quiz or download a free prescription for naloxone. Until next week, this is High Truths on Drugs and Addiction. Our producer is Dave Rivas from Davey Boy Productions, and I am your host, Dr. Oni Lev. We hope we brought your day a little bit more High Truths.